Welcome to the Generic True Crime Podcast. All criminal cases mentioned in this podcast are real events. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Generic True Crime Podcast. I'm Nicole. And I'm Nick. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Happy Sunday once again. Happy Sunday. Sunday is a day that we usually record. Mm-hmm. Also a good day to rest afterward. Day of rest. The That's day right. of rest. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, are you familiar with the show American Horror Story? You know, um, I I definitely know the story. Everyone has to know of the story. Um, but I have only seen like one episode I know, I know. Well, you, we discussed this in the last podcast. I'm yeah, very you're... weird about TV shows. <laughs> and also, the one episode I watched, it was like two hours with no commercials. There are movies that are shorter <laughs> than this episode. Yeah, so, their, their season premieres, from what I remember, can be pretty long. Yeah, it was a little intimidating. I'm a fan of the show. So, the reason why I bring that up today is because actually one of their seasons features today's episode topic. And that is the Axeman of New Orleans. That's right. All right. Do you want to begin? Sure. Um, so there, we're going to be talking about a number of cases, but there's actually a whole bunch of cases that are, you know, kind of thought to be um, from the Axeman, but it's really no proven. It's not, you know, it's kind of like eh, a little wishy-washy, but we're going to go with the ones that are more... There's, it, it's, there's a little bit more scientific proof. Um, so, this case starts on May 22nd, 1918. Um, we have a guy named Andrew Maggio. got a draft notice for the First World War. At this time, we were, I think, six months away from the end of the First World War. Um, and when he got this draft notice, he decided to go out drinking um, with his brother. Well, so some reports say that he went out with his brother to be drinking, and others say that they just reunited at the end of the night after he was done drinking. But, um, so he comes home, and he falls asleep in the room that he shares with his, with his brother, Jake. And at 4 a.m., Jake was awakened. He hears, like, some groaning noises from the other side of the wall. And on the other side of the wall, that's where his brother, his other brother, and his wife live. So we got three brothers living in this, um, this area, and their wife. So, um, Jake tries to wake up Andrew, who's still really drunk, and he has, like, some problems waking up his brother, but they eventually do. Um... And they go into, so the way that this building was laid out, and a lot, this was very, com- this, this was very common for business owners, um, especially grocery people, which is what this family was. You you have like your grocery store in the front, and then in the very back, you kind of have like your own like little living space. Um, you know, very common, which I can't, like, I can't imagine living in the same place that I work. I personally would hate that. I would hate that. So my, my grandpa actually, so he's my grandpa's a napperpath, which is um, very similar to a chiropractor. But his practice was attached to his home, which which it did have some perks because, so I, my brother and I, we spent a lot of time with um, both of our grandparents. Um, and I remember in between patients, my grandpa would come in, he would, you know, maybe get some water. He would talk to us really quickly. My grandpa worked re- like 12 hour days. But wow. it, it didn't seem that long, well, at least for us, 
Uh, it didn't seem that long just because we, we saw him, you know, like every hour. Um, and, you know, he didn't have to commute. That does sound nice. Yes, but then also, sometimes after a long day, sometimes you kind of need a commute. So I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, um, and considering I just said I would hate it, <laughs> yeah, I, I just know. contradicted myself. I know. I don't know if I'd want to live so close to my work, because like whenever there's like a really bad snowstorm... Um, <laughs> you wouldn't want the... Or you'd want the excuse of calling off. Yeah, like everybody <laughs> looks to the people who are closest to be in, which ironically at my job, those are the people who call off first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call out some people. Anywho, anywho, where was I? Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, so Jake and Andrew, um, the two brothers, they go see what is going on in the other room. And they come into what appears to be a break-in. There was a chisel in the kitchen with a piece of the door that was laying outside of the kitchen. And um, then Jake and Andrew went to the couple's bedroom. Um, their brothers, Joseph and Car- yeah, their brother Joseph and his wife, Catherine, they were already dead um, when they came in. Joseph had some bad head wounds and was, well, he was barely alive, but he did eventually die um, before the police got there. Um, It was reported that there was uh, men's clothes in the um, bathroom, which that, a lot of this, um, a lot of these details are kind of like little wishy-washy because some people are saying that the men's clothes was just Joseph's clothes. And then some people are saying that it could have been the killer's clothes. And also, they don't know exactly what the men's clothes was. Was it formal wear? Was it just plain old day clothes? We don't know. But that was in the bathroom. And then um, there was also, um, they found an axe in the bathroom. And then they also found a straight razor that was found on the bed. Police indicate that the axe was the main thing that killed them. But the killer could have used the razor to almost decapitate Catherine. That's gruesome. Very gruesome. Yeah, if she's already dead, why do you want her headless? That's that's sadistic. That's kind of, well, obviously gruesome, obviously. Yeah. And one kind of creepy thing that I found while doing research is that, so this was written on a sidewalk in chalk about a block away from their home. It wrote, Mrs. Maggio will set up tonight just like Mrs. Tony did. Yeah, that was found about a block away in um, sidewalk chalk. Apparently it was... People said that it was written in child's handwriting, which sounds kind of creepy, but I, I I work with grown men, and sometimes their handwriting looks like a child's handwriting, so I don't know. That's pretty much my handwriting. It's not good. <laughs> I love your handwriting, but it is a little sloppy. Very sloppy. It's okay. You can be honest. Um. So then Jake and Andrew, they were taken into custody. Jake was released, but Andrew looked a little suspicious to police because, so these are some of the reasons why he looked a little suspicious. Um, the razor blade that almost decapitated his sister-in-law, that was actually his. He was a barber, and he brought it home. Um, and the family safe was open, but it was not busted open. Like, it looked like whoever opened it, like, they already, like, knew a code, or they, they knew how to open it. Um, so the police thought that the killer had to be close to the family because of these reasons. Um, and also, Andrew's story kind of kept changing, too. He initially said he was just too drunk to notice anything. And then he said that he remembered a man approaching the house around 1.30 in the morning. And he kept kind of jumping between those two stories. Like, oh, yeah, I was too too drunk. Don't remember anything. Oh, but then I remember a man. So that kind of looks a little suspicious. I mean. Just a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, if you are drunk, you know, sometimes you remember things. But then, I don't know. It's, it looks a little fishy. Yeah. 
So shortly after that, on June 28, 1918, around 7 in the morning, local baker John Zanka was delivering his rounds when he arrived at the grocery store owned by Louis Bessemer. Um, he noticed the store was closed, so he actually went around back, where he discovered that the back door had been messed with. Uh, there had been slight, there had been like some small like chisels made into the door, which was strange, um, but it hadn't looked exactly tampered with. So not enough to be broken into. Not enough to be broken into, exactly. Interesting. Um, slightly concerned, though, he decided to knock to see if anyone was there. And that's when I actually read two different sources that after several knocks, um, Louis Bessemer came out and he was covered in blood. And... Another source actually said that John Zinka went inside and discovered Louis Bessemer covered in blood. Um, it was also later discovered that Bessemer was hit with a small hatchet above his right temple, resulting in him being covered in blood. Um, and his girlfriend or mistress, uh, or common-law wife, or common-law wife um, Anna or Harriet, um, I wasn't quite sure which name it was exactly. I get two different sources. I mostly saw Harriet, but I did see Anna. Harriet, yeah. So Anna or Harriet Lowe um, was discovered by police in bed, unconscious, with a slice above her left ear. Basimer had told detectives that he had been asleep when he felt a blow to his head. When he awoke, he saw Anna covered in blood in the hallway. He said he carried her to bed and was ready to call an ambulance when Zinka arrived. Um, on August 5th, Anna Snyder, who was eight months pregnant, was attacked. She was asleep in her bed when she awoke to a dark figure standing above her. Before she could react, she was attacked and was bashed in the face repeatedly. Shortly after midnight, she was discovered by her husband, who had just came home from work. Her face was covered in blood and her scalp had been cut open. She survived the attack, however, and gave birth to a baby girl just two days later. She didn't remember any of the, any of the um, details of the attack, right? No, um, she had just said that she had just seen a dark figure and couldn't make out the appearance. That is so eerie and creepy. Yeah. Okay, so the next um, case, or the next victim, is going to be Joseph Romano. He is an elderly man. He was living with his two nieces, and this happened on August 10th of 1918. Um, so the two, his two nieces, whose name were Pauline and Mary, they um, awoke to the sound of commotion in a different room. And the two nieces went to investigate. They discovered that their uncle had taken a serious blow to the head. Um, and this is this part I thought was creepy. They saw the assailant fleeing the scene, which can you imagine? Like, you walk into a room to find, like, your uncle seriously injured and you see the person leaving. That's heartbreaking because it's like you could... You could almost stop them. Yeah, or... and, that, and that just... I mean, obviously they know what happened to their uncle, but it's so chilling to be like... He saw him. They and saw him. He got away. Yeah, he got away. Yeah, that's sad. And they they could potentially, you know, if if they had seen his face or seen something, they might like that's just, that. To me, that's just so creepy. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. But so they saw the assailant fleeing the scene. Um. So Romano, he um did survive. Well, he did. He was okay the the day of the attack. He did eventually die two days later from head trauma. Um, a bloody axe was found in the backyard, and panel of the door had been chiseled away. So this one, it wasn't just like little chisel marks. The uh, panel of the door had been chiseled away. And then we have, um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Charles Cortemiglia. 
This happened on March 10th, 19, 1919. He was a Italian immigrant who had a wife named Rosie and a um, daughter named Mary. Um, he, uh, so their grocer neighbor heard some screams coming from the house, and he went to investigate. The, um, the neighbor found that all three had been attacked. A bloody axe was found on the back porch. I'm just going to turn my page of notes. So the bloody axe had been found um, by the back door, and the door had been chiseled away. If this family had survived, um, and the wife, Rosie, she claimed that the, that the grocer was the one who, who did the attacks. So the grocer was 69 at this time. He did have a son who was, you know, he was very big, big and strong. And some people were kind of like, I don't, like, would he be able to, like, sneak in through the house? With, like, you know, the door was chiseled away, but, like. Yeah, would he be able to get through? Yeah, a six-foot-tall man. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but the He'd grocer, leave more of a mark. I think he would have. Um, the grocer and his son were found guilty for this, though. Um, but luckily, Rosie eventually came forward and said, no, it wasn't them. So they, they, they were, you know, nothing happened to them. They let off the hook. Yeah, they were let off the hook, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you imagine just you're the one who uh, finds them and, like, lets the police be aware of, like, what has happened and you pretty much saved their lives and then you're accused of... Mm-hmm. of an attempted murder which sometimes that is the case where the person who kind of like comes forward or someone who like kind of helps the police or you know, who wants to help the investigator sometimes that is the person who actually does does it or it has it as part of the crime um but this this time it wasn't mm-hmm. so the x-men's reign would just go on for for quite a while uh, another year actually um interestingly enough on march 14th um, 1919, the Times Picayune newspaper received a letter suspected to be from the Axemen. The letter explains of yet another upcoming attack on the citizens of New Orleans, but with the promise of safety to those who play jazz music starting at 12:15 a.m. on Tuesday, March 19th. All right, so I'm going to read the letter that he had sent into the newspaper. Quote: It seemed mortal. They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am, invi- I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axemen. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom... I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but a satanic majesty, Francis Francis Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it was better that... They were never born than to incur the wrath of the axemen. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always judge me as they have in the past. They are wise and knows how to keep me away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Arlenians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 1215, 
earliest time on next Tuesday, on March 19, 1919, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is some of you people who do not jazz it on Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earliest home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed either in fact or realm of fancy. Signed, the X-Men. Wow. So, yeah. So, this letter was published in the paper, and did, so was anybody killed on that night? Um, actually, no. Everyone in town was actually playing music that night, and from what I read, like, all jazz clubs were, like, almost at full capacity. Can you imagine, like, the energy that was in the air that night? Like, that had to be so creepy. Like, okay, so there's a murderer who could potentially be killing people, but then also, jazz music fucking rocks. <laughs> I do like j- some jazz music. I love jazz music so much. Like, I would have, I, I mean, I don't want to go through this experience with, you know, like a killer on loose. Can you imagine I, the fear of that the, night? That had to be so, like, the, I would love to, like, go back in time and interview people who were in New Orleans that night and could remember it. It's so terrifying. Like, be so terrifying. You're playing the music just thinking, like, is it going to work? Is he going to, is he going to stay away from this home or mm-hmm. is he going to come? Yeah, that, that had to be so creepy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, luckily nobody was killed that day. And there was a few month break into, um, you know, with his killings. The last killing that was allegedly from the Axe Man was um, Sarah Lawman. She was a 19-year-old who lived alone. Um, so, and neighbors knew that she was, you know, she was young, she lived alone. So they, they checked on her every so often if they didn't see her. Um, and they didn't see her for a few days, so they went to check on her. They discovered Sarah was unconscious on her bed with a severe head injury, and she had also had some missing teeth. Um, this one, the assailant came through a window, and a bloody axe was found in the front yard. Um, Sarah did recover from this attack, but she couldn't remember anything, really. And the um, this is the last alleged attack from the axeman. This happened in October 27, 1919. So we have Mike. His um, He had a wife. Um, his wife was awakened by a noise. She arrives in the room, and she saw a large man who was ax- a large axe-wielding man fleeing the scene. Mike was struck in the head, and, um, yeah, Mike was the last, um, of the alleged attacks. But this case was a little interesting, because apparently, like, when his wife came to the police, she's like, oh, it was the Axeman, it was the Axeman, like, so she, like, she was very quick to get on the Axeman train, but it's like, you didn't do any investigation, and people are like, was it, like, did she attack him, and did she just kind of blame it on the Axeman? That's really interesting because I actually read online um, that crime analysts had proposed that the motivation for the crime were sexual and that the killer was actually a potential sadist and that the pattern suggested that he was actually just seeking um, female targets. You know, I had read that too, um, but, you know, this whole Mike, the one with Mike, I mean, you know, if it was the X-Man, we don't know, but if it was, okay, why with him? And then also with... um, 
I'm sorry, I'm turning my page. Um, the old uncle, Joseph Romano, he was an elderly man. He was the one attacked, and he had two young nieces. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this guy's a sick fuck and, like, messing around with little kids. But, like, he attacked the old uncle and not the kids. <laughs> okay. So, that part, I'm just like... There wasn't a, a wife? No. Hmm. Not, not that I saw. Interesting. So now we're going to go into some um, potential um, reasons why these people were attacked. These, these are not things that I wrote down. So I'm going to be going based off memory, but a lot of people, so majority, not all, majority of the people attacked, they were Italian or, they were Italian Americans or Italian immigrants. So people kind of thought like, does this person have beef with Italians? Does this person, like, is this some type of mob related activity? Yeah, there was actually um, suspicion of it being mafia related. Which, um, they did rule out mafia, which is something I didn't realize until recently. There was a strong mafia presence in New Orleans around this time, which I had no idea. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, so there's this one podcast I listen to, Ridiculous History. Um, I like this podcast, you know, like, they talk about, like, some of the, like, random and funnier things. And one podcast episode was that there was, um, a big, strong mafia presence, um, you know, and I think they covered in, like, mid-1850s, so... You know, there, there could still, you know, even if the mafia present had died down by the 1918-1919, there was probably still people, Italian, people from Italian descent still living there. So people thought it was mafia related, but it was eventually ruled out because, like, women were killed and children, well, children were attacked. I don't know if any children were killed. And people said that's not really mafia type behavior. Like, they would just kind of go after men. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of ruled out. Okay. Interesting. And then another um, one, another possible reason for all these killings, a lot of these um, people who were killed or attacked, they were grocers. Oh, that is interesting. So it's someone's like, is he, is he a grocer himself and he's trying to kill out the competition? Yeah. Which that's kind of weird. I didn't read that one. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, that was just like a little side note. Um, yeah. And then another possible thought a lot of people have that it's not all the same person. Um, yeah, I had read that. They, they thought it was multiple people. Yeah, because like, so the main thing was there was an axe. Sometimes the chisel was used. Sometimes straight they came razor. through, or in, in a straight razor, and sometimes they just came through a window. So like, a lot of the thi- like, you know, there's a lot of differences in these attacks. Um, some people had seen the um, assailant. Some people didn't. So it's some people are kind of like, mm, was it one person? Was it not? And the whole thing with the letter. Someone thought, like, someone could just be fucking around and could have written a letter to yeah. the newspaper, and that wasn't actually him. So, I think that's, I think it's all really interesting. Like, you know, we're never going to find out who it was, because this happened over, over 100 years ago by now. Yeah. So, we'll never find out. Remain a mystery. It will remain a mystery, and it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. Yeah. All right, you got anything else? I don't think so. Um, I do want to shout out my friend Tim Rivera. He sent us the our new intro. Yeah, it's pretty good. It is pretty good. Shout out to Tim. That's right. And I do want to say the um, I used Stuff You Missed in History class. They had a podcast about this. And I also used Wikipedia. I also used Wikipedia. And I also found a pretty interesting article on a website called unsolvedcasebook.com. Or from unsolvedcasebook.com, that is. Yeah, so that's the X-Men. Very creepy, we'll never know. Very creepy, yes. Forever a mystery. 
All right, so that's today's episode. Anything else? I got nothing. All right, then we're out. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Generic True Crime Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as our Instagram at a generic underscore true underscore crime underscore podcast.